You're listening to the weekly podcast by Forest Hill Church. Here you'll find a place to grow in your faith, get to know what the Bible's all about, and hear what it looks like to follow Christ. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org. If you're a parent, search for our new Forest Hill Parenting Podcast and subscribe to get new content tailored just for you. Hi, I'm Josh with Mission India. Mission India is one of Forest Hill Church's global ministry partners. We've been working together for a number of years now, uh, training church planters in India. This year we have about 40 men and women going through this training, uh, four teams of 10. And uh, with me is my friend and colleague, JP Jayaprakash, who oversees 100% of Forest Hill's work here in India. We're in the state of Uttar Pradesh in north central India. Today we're near the city of Varanasi, where it is uh, incidentally at like 110 degrees out and incredibly humid. It's a fascinating part of the country. If you took the state of Uttar Pradesh out of India and made it its own country, it would actually be the fifth largest nation in the world, just behind Brazil. There's, there's over 200 million people in this little pocket of, of India. Uh, even more interesting than that is the fact that there are so few Christians here. In fact, just a fraction of 1% of the population know and follow Jesus. So it represents one of the largest, one of the highest concentrations of unreached people and unreached people groups in the world today. We're here to meet with one of those four teams. Pastor Sham and, and his team are here and we visited with them this morning and heard a little bit about how God is working in and through their ministry uh, and their church planner training. It is our privilege that today we met uh, one of the group of church planters supported by Forest Hill Church. And we had a good interaction with these people. And they have shared so many things. And one way they have shared their persecution, how they are facing in the field. The other way, how God is using them mightily in the fields. Whenever they enter into the field, into the villages, the first question which they face is, the villagers, they say that it is a foreign religion. But at the same time, God is doing so many wonders. One of the church planters, he shared that he could able to start a worshiping group in one of the unreached people group called Toman. And people are coming from that community and attending the church. And secondly, these church planters, they said, they have given baptism and the same momentum is still continuing. And they are planning and preparing to give a large group of people. In the month of October, over 150 people, they are going to give baptism. And I am going to witness that. Once I witness, I'll be sharing with you many more details. Pastor Sham, who is a leader of this team, is going to share the greetings and a message with you in his mother tongue. Jai Masi ki, Prabhu Yisoo Masi ka dhanyavad deta hu ki Prabhu Yisoo ne hamare yaha kalisya ka bodhotari achha riti se kiya hai aur ICT program lene ke dwara hi ham log bahu se develop kiye hain. और प्रभु यीशु मसीह के अनुग्रह के द्वारा कलेशिया बढ़ रही है और आप लोगों से विनम्र निवेदन करता हूं कि आप लोग हमारे कलेशिया के लिए हमारे लोगों के लिए प्रार्थना करें कि कलेशिया बढ़ती जाए और एक कलेशिया एक दूसरे के लिए प्रार्थना करें कि अन्य जाति के लोग भी यीशु मसीह में बचाए जाएं सो धन्यवाद देता हूँ प्रभु यीशु मसीह को हमें and I would like to thank Forest Hill Church. The investment which you have made on this church planter, it is not in vain. God is doing so many wonders. And thank you for your encouragement. 
Thank you for your enrichment and thank you for your prayers. And may God bless you all. Thank you. Yeah, as JP said, thank you so much for investing in these people. Thank you for your partnership with Mission India. And we just hope that God will encourage you today with this update. And, and may he bless the work of Forest Hill in India and all around the world. Thanks again. We thought that would be an especially meaningful video during the Christmas season for what we celebrate as Christians is the incarnation that God left the splendor of heaven and entered the squalor of this earth as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, not born in a castle as a king, but born in a smelly stable as a middle-class kid born to a middle-class family. And a part of the understanding of the incarnation is John 20, 21, where Jesus said, as the Father sent me into the world, so now I send you into the world. Uh, we want to take seriously here at Forest Hill the message that we have the gospel here, and Jesus has commanded us to send it all over the world. And for those of you who don't know, one of the major mission points now in global perspectives is the United States of America. As many countries are now sending their missionaries here because more and more people are walking away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have not here, and we will continue to send. Would you give God glory for that particular thought that he has given our leadership here in this church? Well, welcome. It's great to have all of you here. Uh, I'm going to change the message tonight uh, because of the inclement weather. Uh, it looks like Sunday is going to be snow and ice. We've had to cancel all our services. Uh, I was in the middle of a series called Hidden Figures. We looked at Adam last week. We were going to this week look at three interesting figures in the genealogy of Jesus, Judah, Tamar, and Rahab. Uh, we'll do that next week, and we'll adjust, and that's fine. God's got this in his control, and he knows what he is doing. Online community will watch this service on Sunday, and we're grateful that they will do that as well. So therefore, all of Forest Hill will have a chance to worship the living Lord Jesus Christ this weekend. Snow, sleet, hail, it doesn't matter. We're going to worship the living Lord Jesus Christ, right? We're going to do that no matter what. So I prayed about what to say to you on kind of a fly this afternoon, if you will, as I tried to think through what could be a message that might be meaningful to you um, and to all of those who will be watching on Sunday. And here's what the Lord tended to say to my heart. Um, and I seek him with every message that I preach. I spend countless hours trying to preach and to prepare, then preach, uh, to pray and then prepare, then preach the word of God. And I did so a little bit this afternoon, but not with much time. But I sensed the Lord wanted me to talk to you about his peace. His peace. I've never seen the world more anxious. I've never seen more Christians who are anxious. And the answer to anxiety, I think, is Jesus' peace. We see peace written on all kinds of Christmas signs. They're hung as baubles from our trees. Uh, we see the words peace on earth, goodwill toward men written everywhere. It's something the angels themselves cried out to the shepherds as they announced the birth of Jesus. Um, interestingly, peace is the third fruit of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who know about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 says, 
when your life is connected to Jesus, where there is that root, the natural fruit that will flow from that root is first love, and then secondly, joy. People ask me all the time, what's the definition of joy? Let me give it to you. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, you. You live that way, you'll have joy. Put Jesus first, give your life to others, put yourself third, and joy will fill your heart because that's why God created you. Love, joy, and then the third one is what? It's peace. It's peace. Peace is supposed to be a fruit that flows from the Christian's life that is rooted in Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Uh, you are the vines, uh, I am the branch, and I will flow my life through you and I'll produce fruit in your life if you'll just remain attached to me. Peace. Jesus said in John 14, 26, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. It's not as the world gives. Think about that. How does the world think peace works? Peace is enmity between two parties, then ultimately they usually tire of the aggression against one another, so they sign a peace accord. The problem with that peace accord, of course, is it only lasts until one or both of the parties is offended again and they start retaliatory actions toward the other. It just doesn't work long term. So Jesus' peace is different than the world's peace. It is, again, rooted in him. It's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the good news that the cradle is connected to the cross. This young baby who coos and woos and we want to hold him grows up and dies on the cross and makes extraordinary demands of those who decide to follow him. He says, my life is rooted in yours, your life is rooted in mine. I produce this fruit in you, and you follow me even if persecution should come your way. In fact, he said, persecution will probably come your way, and amidst that persecution, you'll have what? Peace. Wow, that's weird. John 16, in this world, you will have tribulations, Jesus said, guaranteed. Followers of Jesus, non-followers of Jesus, if you are rooted to him, you'll have different persecutions. He said, but rejoice, I have overcome the world. So let's spend a little time looking at this whole idea of peace, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, amidst our world that is terribly anxious. What does it mean to have the peace of Jesus? Well, I think there are several understandings of his peace that could help us today. First of all, there is peace with God. Peace with God. Romans 5.10 says that while you were enemies of God, Christ died for you. Now, now think about that. In our pre-Christ condition, we were enemies against God. You know, I've said to you before, if you don't understand the bad news, you'll never understand the good news. If you don't understand how bad the bad news is, you'll never understand how good the good news is. The bad news is that because of Adam's sin that we looked at last week, downloading selfishness and rebellion against God into his heart that's passed on to all of us who are conceived, we are born with a desire to rebel against God. We have at our heart 
from the moment of conception, growing up thereafter, to do life on our own terms and to rebel, be traitors against God. Oftentimes, that sin, and what is sin? It's just the desire and the action of doing what's not the will of God. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all done that, and often we've done those actions of sin secretively. We've been stealth traitors, doing things behind the scenes in the rebellion against God. In that enmity, in that condition of rebellion, yet still God chose to send his son into the world. Now, who dies for an enemy? Who does that? Except the perfect love of the Father in heaven. He looked at us in our treacherous rebellion, and he still sent his son because he wanted that relationship with us, severed in the garden, passed on through sin to our lives even today. Jesus died on the cross not just to forgive us of our sins, but to give us peace with God. And when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we invite him into our hearts to live, to abide, to rest there, not only is there the fruit of the Holy Spirit, there is a pardon given by God to you and me. We're declared not guilty. A stamp is made on his hand. He does not see your sin anymore. If you try to remind him of it, he'll say, I conveniently forgot about it. The moment you gave it to me, it's buried deep into the heart of the sea. I remember it no more. In other words, he would say, I remember forgetting it. Isn't that good news? And when he does that, dear friends, he does sign an eternal covenantal peace accord with us. We're not only declared not guilty and that he doesn't remember our sins anymore, but we move from enmity to eternal friendship. Think about that. Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves. I now call you my friends. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to him in prayer. We have now peace with God. There is a peace accord declared. The enmity no longer exists. We're now friends with God. And folks, that peace with God now should increase our prayer lives, right? Now, now come on, talk at me just a little bit. If you really believe that that peace accord has been signed between you and God and God initiated it and it's eternal, it can't ever be broken, you're now his friends, doesn't that increase your prayer life, doesn't it? Well, what it does for me, for people who ask me regularly, well, David, give me some hints on how to pray. Here's one. Regularly, I imagine I'm sitting on a park bench in the morning. I try to pray every morning to spend some time with the Lord. Sometimes the burdens become too great to carry, and life becomes too worrisome to deal with. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I imagine Jesus sitting right next to me on a park bench. And I put my arm around him, and he puts his arm around me, and then he pulls me close to him. And he asks me this, how's your heart? How's your heart? And then you know what I do? I tell him. All the burdens, the pains, the difficulties, the challenges that I'm facing. And then he asked me, would, would you let me carry them? Would you let me carry them? 
1 Peter 5, 7, he says, Cast all your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Now, interestingly, that term cast is the same term used when the fishermen cast their nets into the sea to try to catch a load of fish. Now, question for you. When those nets were cast into the sea, do you think that was a wimpy cast? They didn't go very far if they were. And how many fish would you catch? Eh, nilch, zada. When you cast nets as a fisherman, you've got to take every strong sinew and muscle in your arms and cast it forcibly into the sea in order to catch fish. So Jesus used that same word to cast our cares upon him. It's also the same word that's used in the Bible when Jesus cast out the demon. Now, do you think he went to the demon that was tormenting those sometimes children, sometimes adults, whatever the situation might have been? Do you think he went to the demon and said, Would you please leave? Pretty please? I beg you, please. Do you think he did that? Of course not. He cast the demon out. It is the most forcible term you can imagine. He threw it away from the person so it no longer gave them anxiety and a lack of peace. He cast it out. Cast all your cares upon him. Certainly, it can be also seen as a quarterback trying to throw a 40-yard pass into the end zone. Is it a wimpy cast? Not if you want to score a touchdown. Or how about a pitcher throwing a 98-mile-an-hour fastball? It takes great force, doesn't it? That, that's the idea. So I'm sitting here, and Jesus says, son, friend. Have you ever heard Jesus call you friend? If not, then you don't know the relationship. There's a peace accord sign. I'm no longer an enemy. I'm a friend. He says, friend, friend, cast all your cares upon me. And let me tell you something, friend. As daddies love to play catch with their kids to show how much they love them, you catch the ball, you throw the ball back to your kid. He catches it, she catches it, they throw it back to you. That's a great time together between father and children, right? Jesus says to me, I love you, I'm your friend, I don't want to play catch with you. You with me? I don't want to play catch with you. Once you cast forcibly all your cares upon me, drop your hands, catch game ended. Because I got them. And I'm not throwing them back. And then 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares upon me, Jesus says. Why? Second part of the verse. Because he cares for you. So as we're on this park bench and I cast my cares upon him for the day, then he draws me even closer and he puts his lips next to my ear and he gives me an acronym that, folks, has guided me for years. After I've cast all my stuff, all my cares upon him, here's what he says to me. I, L, love you. David, I love you. In spite of all your stuff, I, I, I love you. I, I'm in control of all your stuff. You've cast it on me. Trust me. I'm in control of it. I'm using it for your good. And I go, you mean you're using that thing for my good? Yep. 
even then. I'm in control. P, there's purpose in it. But I don't see the purpose, Lord. You, you may not until heaven. But I promised I'm using everything, even the bad stuff, for my purpose in your life. And S, I'm sovereign over everything. Trust me, L-I-P-S. I love you, I'm in control, there's a purpose, and I'm sovereign. I just hear him say that to me. Now, you just need to know I'm a dummy. Okay, any of you other people dummies out there? I'm a dummy, and sometimes I have to hear things over and over and over again, right? Elementary school teachers say you have to repeat something seven times before the kids finally get it. With me, it's about 470 times. The Lord keeps saying to me, I love you, I'm in control, there's purpose, and I'm sovereign. Over and over again, his lips are next to my ear. You with me? And slowly but surely, as I realize that, the enmity that has been canceled and the peace he promises me starts to consume my heart. Why? Because he cares for me. Do you know Jesus cares for you? You doubt that? Look at the cradle. This Christmas time, look at the cradle. Get a picture of the cradle and contemplate the cradle. Because what the cradle represents is the eternal Father's desire to pursue you. He wants to date you. He wants to marry you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to control your life. He wants to be there for you. The cradle is the proof of God's pursuit of you. And then if you want to get ahead of the game, look at the cross too. The horrific six hours that Jesus spent on the cross with those nails in his arms and his feet, the spear in his side, the crown of thorns matted on his brow, the humiliating mocking of the crew below. That's what he went to to prove his love. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And if you'll just do that exercise, recognizing you're no longer an enemy but a friend, and you'll sit on that park bench with him every day and cast your cares on him. Listen to his lips telling you how much he loves you. He's in control. There's a purpose for your life and he's sovereign. You'll start to have the peace that passes all understanding. Consume your heart. So that's one idea of peace I wanted to share with you. That's the meaning of Christmas as we keep hearing peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But there's not only peace with God. There's peace amidst life storms. You know, that story where Jesus got his disciples in the boat and they went to the other side, have you ever noticed it starts with these words? Go to the other side. He knew they were going to get to the other side. He wouldn't have said go to the other side if he didn't know they were going to get to the other side. So he commands them to go to the other side. And then in the middle of the trip, He's in the back of the boat sleeping. I mean, what kind of a savior is that? Who sleeps when my life's in a storm? And so the disciples cry out, wake up, we're in the middle of a storm, we're going to drown, don't you care? Jesus wakes up and he asks this question first, where is your faith? Where's your faith? In the middle of the storm, where's your faith? Now, I know that many of us feel like when we're in the storm, Jesus is asleep, right? He's on mute. He's silent. But he's not absent. He's there. 
And sometimes he just wants us to learn how to practice our faith. And I've often wondered if Jesus wanted the disciples to rebuke the storm in the name of Jesus before he did. He said, all power and authority I have, and I've now given it to you. Where's your faith? Whenever you go through a life storm, you need to know, first of all, that you're going to get to the other side. Where's the other side? It's heaven. If you love Jesus, you're going to heaven, period. You can't lose your salvation. It's impossible. If he gave it to you, he's not going to take it back. So what do you do with all those texts that talk about what you do lose in heaven? You lose your eternal rewards. You lose those things that you've done for him that you're going to get a reward for. You lose those things, but you don't lose your salvation. You might be a bit embarrassed when you get to heaven that you were screwed up so royally. But you don't lose it because he gave it. That's the nature of grace. Grace doesn't get it back. Grace is a free gift to begin with. It's not going to be withdrawn just because you may have done something wrong. You're going to get to the other side. So what do you do in the middle of the storm? You trust the one who's with you in the storm. Isn't it fascinating in Luke's gospel that one of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel? What does that word mean? God is with us. God is with us. Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, after his birth, death, and resurrection, behold, I'll be with you some of the time, right? No, he said, I'll be with you always until the close of the age. He's never going to forsake you or desert you, Hebrews 13, 5. Write it down if you want to read it and memorize it yourself. I put so many scriptures in my mind, folks, that's how I fight anxiety. I fight it with the word of God. Have you ever thought about how Jesus knew the word so deeply and intimately? His mom and dad taught it to him. He went to synagogue every week. He memorized the word of God. So when the devil attacked him, he had the word at his fingertips to refute the evil one's onslaughts. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a great promise. I'll never. So when you face your life storms, the question is, do you know the presence of Jesus with you? Not only with you, but in you. Isn't that a great preposition? Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. He lives in you. You live in him. Did you know that every time the Bible says that Christ lives in you, there are ten times it says you live in Christ? I want you to think about that. Question. Where is Jesus right now? He was born, he died, was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven. Where is he now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. What's the right hand of a king? It is the position of, of authority, of oversight. Jesus holds the eternal scepter in his right hand. He's ruling over everything. Ephesians 2.6 says that we have been raised and ascended with Jesus, and we now sit with him in all fullness of authority in heaven over everything. Everything includes the storms of your life. Do you believe that? Do you practice that? When the devil attacks, do you say, my peace has been uprooted, but I sit with Jesus in the authority of the universe. Peace, be still, storm, in Jesus' name. That's what he wants us to do because he is with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He lives in us. We live in him. And last time I thought about it, if a 
train car is connected to the engine, wherever the engine goes, the train car's got to follow. If I am in Christ and Christ is in me, I'm coupled with him. He is the vine. I am the branch. I rest in him, abide in him. I live in him. That means wherever he goes, I must go. Wherever he is, I must be. So if you have a storm in your life, go higher. Go higher above the storm. And the one who lives in you, who's coupled with you, will allow you to see it's a temporary storm. And it's not going to affect your destination. Now, just to make sure that you're not asleep on me yet, would you applaud and give God the glory? Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? Well, that's the meaning of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We're no longer enemies and that God is with us amid all of our life storms. And one other thought on this that blows me away. Think about this one. John 20 says it. Hebrews 7 says it. Romans 8, 34 says it. Jesus is daily and regularly making intercession for you and me. Now, how many of our anxieties would melt if we could just for a moment imagine the Lord of the universe on his knees praying for our needs. His knees, our needs. Think about that. I want all of you amidst your anxieties right now to picture, imagine just for a moment the Lord of the universe on his knees in your bedroom right now praying for every single life storm and I bet he's praying this first of all father in heaven don't let them believe the devil's lies that this is coming to them because of something they've done wrong Let them know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. And some of you ask me at this point, well, but I feel a conviction of the Holy Spirit sometimes. Isn't that condemnation? No, dear friends, there's a huge difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit to reveal to us a place where we've hurt the Father's heart. And those of us who love Jesus the most still hurt the Father's heart some, don't we? Sometimes we say things to our spouse we shouldn't say. Sometimes we act like we shouldn't act. Sometimes we watch things we shouldn't watch. Sometimes we hurt the Father's heart. And just like a good father with his earthly children will say to them, that's not good, I want that to change, so will the Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, convict us of that wrongdoing. But here's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction never changes the relationship. It just wants to correct behavior that will make the relationship better. Condemnation always says, not you didn't do well, but you aren't a good person. Not you failed, but you are a failure. It condemns you as a person. It condemns the relationship. And often life storms just make us feel like there's something I did wrong and God is condemning us. Jesus is praying, Lord, don't let them think that. Don't let this child of mine, my friend, my daughter, my son, don't let them think that. And then he's also, I think, saying, give them strength. 
through the storm. Give them strength through the storm. Let them just take one more step, one more step, one more step. And when the storm passes, may they still praise you and worship you. Because if they truly love you, Father, they will be stronger in their faith because they passed through the storm with me. Right? You, you will be. You'll be stronger in your faith walk because you passed through the storm with Jesus. And what's the other part of peace that God wants to give to us? That's peace in the world. Now, some of you go, no, I don't get that one. I mean, there's wars in the Mideast. There's continual racial strife in America. The, the gender ideologies have separated men and women. There's never been more anger here and around the world. How can Jesus now give us peace? Well, he doesn't. But here's the deal, folks. When Jesus came the first time, we oftentimes call it the first coming or the first advent. That means God took the initiative to come into this world as a baby, and Jesus' purpose was to save us from our sins. Jesus' name means Savior. His purpose is to save us from our sins. God's greatest need with the first incarnation was to get us to heaven. We sometimes missed the Christmas story being the best rescue mission story ever. Do you love those movies where somebody's daughter has been kidnapped, maybe taken overseas, and the dad is so royally ticked off, he moves heaven and earth to go and get his daughter back and bring her home? Have you ever seen those movies? They're great movies. Man, you're just sitting there cheering for the dad going, get the enemies, blow them away, and bring your daughter home, yay. Right? And when he blows away a few of the enemies, we're thinking, do it in the name of Jesus. Please, I mean, take care of those godless guys and bring your daughter home. Because it's just beautiful to see a father's love pursue and rescue his loved one. Well, folks, that's what God did with us. We were snatched by the devil, held in the captivity of sin. Our destination is eternal separation from God the Father unless the Father goes on a rescue mission, which is what he did through Jesus. Now, doesn't that put a new spin on the tiny baby in the manger? That this is a baby who wants to rescue us. Give God praise for that. This baby grows up and he dies on the cross. And don't think for a moment he was a wimpy man. He had his muscles and sinews ready for battle because when he was raised from the dead, there was a victory parade in heaven where the enemy himself was encaged, brought down the middle of heaven's highways, and there was a spectacle made of him and cheering angels and the saints beforehand, mocking him for his loss in heaven. Isn't that good news? That's what he did. And because of that, we're saved. The Father's brought us home. And we are now with him forever. Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are, what? Many mansions. And I've gone there to prepare a place, what? For us. He, he came to this earth to take us home so we could live with him forever. It's the coolest rescue story ever. Now, that's why Jesus came the first time. But before he left, on several occasions, he said, I'm coming again. And biblically, we don't call that the first advent. We call that the second advent. 
And dear friends, at Christmas time, not only should we always connect the cradle and the cross, we should connect the cradle, the cross, and the second coming. Because the one who came the first time came as a cooing baby to save us from our sins. The second time he'll come as a conquering king to rid this world of all of its evil. He will come back again. And what he's going to do is to take all the sin that has infected this world in its created order in our human bodies. He's going to take that and eliminate it forever and ever. And we're going to live forever on this planet Earth. As God originally created it, we're going to be able to do whatever we want to do with a perfect, whole, resurrected body. And we're going to live in the perfect peace with God, one another, inside of us, and with creation. Interestingly, the Bible says there's, the lion is going to lie down with the lamb. The children are going to be able to play in front of a hole where there's a snake and not worry. All of creation is going to be restored to how God wanted this world to be. There's no cancer, no depression, no dysphoric diseases. Nothing is going to keep God's order from operating as he intended. And there will be worship in God's new order. The angels will sing daily songs of praise with perfect harmony. Can you imagine? Those of you who say, I can't make any kind of singing noise to the Lord, you'll be able to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And he'll love hearing you sing. We'll love to worship, but there's going to be so much more we're going to do in relationship with one another, hearing each other's stories, talking to the saints throughout the ages and hearing their stories. We're going to rule and reign over cities. We're going to have all kinds of different responsibilities in dominion over this order as God gave Adam and Eve, lost in that garden, restored in the garden of Gethsemane, perfectly restored when Jesus returns again. And when that day happens, dear friends, when that day happens, may I tell you when that day happens, there's going to be perfect peace on this planet. There's going to be wars no more. Military weapons are going to be beaten into plowshares. We're going to operate perfectly as God intended, and peace will reign on this earth. So when you celebrate Christmas this year, and you see peace on earth, goodwill toward men, and you put your little peace baubles on your Christmas tree, and you have peace placards on your mantles in your houses or apartments, just remember the real purpose of peace from God's perspective during this time period. First of all, you have peace with God. Your enmity is destroyed. He's now your friend. You can sit and talk with Jesus forever. He cares for you deeply. You now have peace amidst life's storms, and you have a peace-praying Jesus who's always praying for you. And thirdly, you connect the first advent with the second advent during this Christmas time period, looking forward to that peace that will come through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And when that day comes, we will know no more pain. Is anybody excited about that day? That, dear friends, is the true meaning of Christmas and make sure all are a part of your celebrations this year and if you do you'll have the merriest Christmas possible as always to Christ alone belongs all of the glory in Jesus name amen and amen